Coming Back is a listener-supported podcast. To support the show and receive weekly grief guidance from me, monthly group grief support calls, and the first look at upcoming projects, become a patron now at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. Just $3 a month gets you access to everything there is to see on Patreon, plus connection to a beautiful group of grievers just like you. Unlock grief support now for $3 a month and support this show at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. Thank you so much for listening. What if you could improve your relationship to grief a little bit every day? If you're looking for comforting words and practical exercises condensed into one small paragraph each day, check out my new book, Your Grief, Your Way. It's a non-religious daily devotional that helps you get in touch with your heart and your grief for a full 366 days. Find Your Grief, Your Way now on Amazon, Audible, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere you buy books. And stay tuned to the end of this episode for a special excerpt from Your Grief, Your Way. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. Today, I'm talking to Rob Bell, the author of many books, including the newly released Everything is Spiritual. We're asking a host of questions, including how two opposite emotions can be true at the same time, why do some losses feel like graduations and others like divorces, and how in the world do we reframe the despairing question, now what, into a call for curiosity. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide and author who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to create a world where grief is welcomed, normalized, and even embraced. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hi there, grief growers, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. Thank you so very much for being here today. Well, we have a new president-elect and vice president-elect here in the United States. Thank you so much to all of you who voted and for all of you outside the U.S. who've been sending hope and encouragement our way. I have received some lovely emails from listeners this week doing a little dance of celebration all over the world, not necessarily for who is going to be in office, but for who is no longer going to be in office. Sometimes I'm noticing there's more celebration in a story of loss what is going away, than in a story of gain, what is soon to arrive. And that's really interesting, isn't it? There's no um, moral judgment coming from that. Just interesting, an observation that the celebration is more about a removal as opposed to an arrival. So I hope you'll join me in taking a deep breath and knowing That just like the work of grief, the work of political, social, cultural progress is never finished. If you're looking for continued ways to elect more grief and empathy-aware folks into office, consider helping out with the Senate runoff election in Georgia. It's coming up fast, and the race crucially determines whether our new president and vice president will be able to quickly pass new laws to help Americans recover from COVID-19, the economic crisis, and so, so so much more. And no matter how you participate politically and wherever in the world you live, please continue to read, research, and have hard conversations with family and friends about the issues that matter most to you. We have made it so far. And we still have so much farther to go. We are always expanding. One more quick thing before the interview today. I have just announced the last set of live Zoom workshops before the end of 2020. So head to shelbyforsythia.com slash events, or the link in the show notes to check them out. Uh, I'm repeating a few popular ones, including release the pain of guilt and sit and stay in painful emotions. There are also a couple of new ones like navigate holiday grief, because we are tilting into a holiday season that is unlike any other. And I have two separate opportunities to enter into a workshop called Grieve and Release 2020. This has been one hell of a year, and it is only fitting that we create a sacred container to grieve everything that happened and all of the ways that we have been forced to change 
and simultaneously make room for what's coming next in 2021. And again, for all of those workshops and so many more events uh, that I'm being featured in or at or teaching or leading or gathering, <laughs> you can always find all of that at shelbyforsythia.com slash events. And now my conversation with Rob Bell. Grief growers, I'm really delighted to introduce, for some of you, reintroduce you to Rob Bell and his work. We're here talking today about his new book, Everything is Spiritual, but on a larger scale, we are talking about all that is grief. So Rob, welcome to the show. And I think I want to start off, usually I ask people to share their grief story, which is like a who, what, when, where sort of situation. But I get the sense from your book, Everything is Spiritual, that grief is more um, like a force or an energy. So I wonder if you can answer a different kind of question who is grief to you? Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me. And to all your people, what an honor. Um, I swear in the first question, you've helped me understand my life better. <laughs> and that was your question. <laughs> I love when this happens. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I wonder at some level, if you think about the definition of death as letting go, as opposed to this horrible, horrible thing that's coming that everybody has to face that isn't. And if you reframe it as a letting go of whatever this is, and then you think about the seasons in the fall, leave, trees literally let go of their leaves so everything can die in winter so that then there can be a spring. Like death and rebirth are built into creation. So letting go is one of the engines of creation. So grief, which is the felt sensory experience of letting go, becomes heartbreaking and tragic and filled with tears and also central to our experience here because right the new book is a whole series of having to let go of things it's just a whole, whole series of falling down a flight of stairs awkward embarrassing this wasn't supposed to go this way and what i want to do because the the book is a feeling as much as anything tobbly dodgy upheaval of an experience what i wanted people to feel in the book is also this like pulsing goodness and energetic invitation just below the surface to be on the lookout for the new thing that wants to come about. You know what I mean? It's like right there all the time, even in the midst of the tears, something new. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I, I was, uh, I had an experience last week and I was like, Oh, this is going to come up in conversation with Rob Bell. I just had the experience and I was like, I know that I have to, to share this story and coming back. And I know that um, he needs to hear it because I I was sitting in a line of cars at a rapid COVID testing line. This was my very first time being tested for COVID after potentially being exposed uh, in a grocery store and petrified because this virus has taken the lives of over 200,000 people. I might soon be one of them. As a result, it's so surreal to be living in a world where a school parking lot has been converted into a medical testing zone, yep. masks, mm -hmm. shields, the whole shebang. I was so anxious. I had one of these adhesive dashboard mounts in my car. I was literally picking it away as I was <laughs> in this line. And I looked through my windshield and like in a split second, I saw this kid fly up on a skateboard and then land. And I realized that this COVID testing site was directly across the street from a local <laughs> skate park. And, mm -hmm. I, and I had this recognition of, ah, even as this is happening, this is also happening. And they're not... They're happening in the same time and space. They're happening at the same latitude and longitude. Like they're they're occurring simultaneously. And I think this is one of the great illusions of grief is that, um, and you talk about this in everything is spiritual, is that despair is all there is. And there's this great illusion that ending is all there is. And something that that you speak about and and that helps me understand my grief more is thinking that despair is all there is is part of recognizing that despair is not all there is. So it's like you have to tell yourself that story first before you can 
observe yourself. Different story. Yes. Before you can observe yourself telling that story and realize that's just a story that I'm telling. Mm-hmm. Or I, oh, what a wonderful story! I'm I'm thrilled that you thought of me. COVID testing next door to a skate park and two things: celebration and play. Mm-hmm. Next to prevention, threat assessment, pandemic, and they both sit side by side. And so in living, breathing flesh and blood, you make space for those two things to be happening at the same time. So all expanded consciousness, enlightenment, awakening, whatever language people want to use in different traditions and name it different ways, involves some expansion in which things that were previously contradictory can now sit side by side and you have no need to reconcile them or pick one over the other. Both are true. Yeah. Or even as you speak of um, to prove one more right than the other. Yes. And actually central to it is the right to reserve judgment if needed or not judgment and just let them be what they are. Or if somebody went through, let's say some sort of horrific abuse and they have great joy in their life, you can say that was horrific abuse and I have great joy. And it all sits within the center of who I am. Well, and I think about, um, I marked a few pages in here. The first, the first story that you tell in Everything is Spiritual, by the way, the opening line of my grandmother kept cash in her bra. I was like immediately cackling. I was like, this is the best opening line to any book I've ever read. Um, oh, I'm so happy you said that. But <laughs> it's like, I was like, oh, this is where we're going. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, the the story that you open with is this very deep awareness of there's been a lot of grief in my family, and everyone's talking about it up to about an inch, but there's like a miles more yeah. worth of information that nobody's speaking of, and so you you address the unspoken grief with laughter. And there's like this levity that exists at the same time as, wow, that huge giant thing that nobody's talking about. And so it's almost as if grief is informing the, um, the desire or the drive to create joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, it's the presence and absence. I, um, and for me, learning that it's okay to be sad, to slow down and feel it has been the great invitation of my life because I, I come honestly by a lineage that whatever you do, keep moving, just keep moving, keep working, keep accomplishing. Cause if you slow down, well, there's a whole world just below the surface. And if you feel that, who knows where that, if you pull on that string, we don't know what will come undone. That could go any, we don't know. And learning that it's okay. So yeah, that was like the great, been one of the great lessons of my life i can remember literally 10 years ago discovering the the and saying things to my wife Kristen, like i don't feel like changing the world today and her saying welcome to how most of us feel most of the time (laughs) (laughs) i have this too is this this nuclear engine of of doing creating ambition and um, just learning that you can feel it all and it's okay. And actually there's vast creative energy in that sadness and grief. That's all part of it. It's all part of the bandwidth of being human. It's okay. You just be with it. Well, and I laugh at this. I don't feel like saving the world today because I, I feel as if, especially in Westernized society, we have this missive or this calling of, <laughs> to be human alone is not enough. Mm. And so we are called to some kind of ascension of you must be more than human all the time. Mm -hmm. And so an admission of the slowing down and stopping or um, observation, I wrote uh, staying still equals obliteration. So to, to pause, observe, reflect, allow emotions in instead of maintaining motion is to suddenly become human in a world that wants you to be more than human. (laughs) And I'm laughing, but oh my God, the the pain of that. Oh, so well said. And not to be spoiler alert on the book, but in my late twenties, Kristen and I started a church and honestly, Shelby, like at 30 years of age, 
I'm pastor of like a 10,000 person church. And on Sundays I have to give the sermon three times to over 3000 people each time. And I say those numbers realizing I sound how that sounds, but I say that on purpose just to say I, all that energy and, and on legitimate joy and inspiration built this thing. But then I, how do I be sad? Sunday's coming and I have a job to do. Inspire people, fill them with hope, give them a vision for the future. Let's start a microfinance bank in sub-Saharan Africa. Let's make sure every third grader in the public schools is learning mm-hmm. read. You know what I mean? Like, like fire everybody up. Do your thing, Rob Bell. God, well, I'm actually grieving some things. Uh, uh, wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't... That doesn't keep the that doesn't draw the crowd. <laughs> yeah, so I so I mean I remember driving in on an Easter Sunday morning, and, and that's like and in church world that's big. This feels like another lifetime I'm talking about. And I remember thinking I don't know if I like seriously like a guy rising from the dead like an open tomb. That's all kind of kind of. Really? That's kind of ridiculous. I mean, just like eat doubt, um, questioning all of it. But it's like you're driving in to give three Easter <laughs> sermons. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, can you make, how do you make room for that, Rob Bell? Because you seem to have created a large empire here that's not about that. Oh, yeah, this is all stuff that took me to some places I never would have expected. Well, and I think you're speaking to this pressure, too to always know what we're doing and why. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I do these sessions with people now and the past, whatever, eight months of COVID, the number of people who just need a moment, like I'm, I'm working on this book, but I just feel like I'm stuck. Yeah. Totally normal. There's a global pandemic. I just haven't had the same mojo lately. Yeah. Tens of millions of people filed for unemployment over the past month. It would be normal that your antenna would be picking up that grief. Uh, might not be you. Might be what your antenna is picking up. It might be the, the the collective. It might be, but just this is all part of it. It's okay. Of course, and, and the line. Of course, it's become my favorite line. Of course, you're feeling that way, right? Actually, if you weren't feeling that way, something would probably be wrong with you. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, of course. What's so funny is I heard this chunk of your book and like my jaw hit the floor because the next book that I'm working on is all about phrases that change the way you grieve. And one of them is, of course. Ah, And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, somebody else is on this wavelength also. Um, To which I say about your book idea, of course. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you'd write about that. And of course it's worth writing about too. And, um, uh, and, you know, to share a smidgen of that because it's very much an incomplete idea, but within the context of you and I is like, of course is the great validator. Of course is the thing that sits across from you and says, I get how you got there. I may not also be there, but I get how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you think about our world, how many people were raised with an understanding of the world as scarcity and lack. There's only, there's not enough. The, what there is, is, you have to fight for. So there's a pie, only has so many slices. Uh, you think about um, in college, it'll be graded on a curve. So only a few people are going to get good grades. Like that's all conditioning people for scarcity and competition. And there's not enough then no wonder advertising billions of dollars were spent today to keep you and I glued to the interweb. You know what I mean? (laughs) To keep us, and at the heart of that is the subtle or overt insistence that there is something that you are lacking and if you had it, your life would be better. And no wonder people are operating from a place of lack and scarcity. This like system, it's hardwired into the, this system. Yeah, so of course we would have, of course we would have breathed these fumes. Yes. Yeah, and if people can see that, I don't know why I always I do. 
It's around you all the time. You were taught it. The system actually rewards you for it. No wonder you have that thing in you. It's okay. It's just now you're tasting something else. So you got to follow it. Well, right. And, and one of my um, favorite pieces of your book, because I don't perceive you as an angry person, <laughs> at least publicly, is this whole <laughs> section that you wrote about anger. Yeah. The first time you visited this therapist of like, me, angry? No way. That was not me. I was known for joy. <laughs> but he was resolute. No, you're angry. And it was so shocking to hear that. And true. <laughs> I knew it in my bones. I was angry, really angry. And you speak of, um, you know, we're sold things on billboards and the whole system is built around scarcity. And, and there's this pressure to prove that we're good at grief. And so, of course, we would not allow in something as big as anger or as threatening or as unpredictable or whatever word you'd like to use for anger. Um, but in your own exploration, admission, allowance, permission yeah. of anger, yeah. what happened then? That was life-changing. I remember waking up the day after that meeting with that therapist and realizing I was less angry or realizing what the anger was that I had developed because all of us, you know, you're a kid, you're finding your way in the world and there's some situation, some person, some authority structure that it doesn't let you be you, which those are always have, those wounds have a, a certain sacred tinge to them. Um, something about your core essence was prohibited. Um, and I developed some, I'll show you anger which is incredible energy. Like, oh, really? These are the rules? Oh, really? I can't do that? Oh, just watch. I'll leave here and I'm going to go. I'm going to build a whole world where I make the rules. <laughs> like, um, FU anger is extraordinary what you can build with that. If you're trying to prove to somebody or if you're trying to even the score with somebody, that is like nuclear power. Um, but I, when I became aware of like that almost was like a layer in the cake or like a, a thin bandwidth in there. Cause we're all this mix, all this stuff sits side by side. But when I saw, Oh, this is, is this why you push yourself? Is this why you have a hard time saying no? Is this is why, is this why it kills you to let people down? Is this why your worst fear is that somebody would think you're lazy is you're doing so you're building something here because you need something yeah 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 oh yeah all that was like oh yeah and then obviously with that comes the awareness how's that working for you well i'm exhausted oh okay so maybe we should try some other stories how about what an extraordinary thing that i get to do this work and i probably should take care of myself really well so i could do this work for a long time <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is the beauty of it is you can, well, obviously, like what you're doing with your voice, you can go into all these places. You can shine a light in there. You don't have to live like the whole thing is a giant, ambiguous hairball of mystery. There are reasons why we do something. There's reasons why certain people get under our skin. There's reasons why certain habits we seem to fall back into and can actually get clarity. It's quite astounding, really, to be a human being. <laughs> Well, yes. And I love, um, I think something I've always admired about your work, but something you're pursuing relentlessly and everything is spiritual is like more questions. It's like, I have, a, I have another question and another thing and another thing. And there's kind of this, okay, but what if this and then that? And it's so funny because it came through in, in this story you tell about working on a sermon and the person you're working decides like, oh, we're done with this. You're like, wait, 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 no, we just skimmed the we're surface. We're just Unlocks getting started. Other questions. <laughs> and, and this is something I kind of um, came to a crux to in thinking about its relation to grief because you you speak of despair and curiosity. So becoming curious about our experiences is an antidote to despair. So despair tells the story of this is all there is and this is all that will ever be. Curiosity tells the story of what is still here, what is here beyond this, what is coming next that I can't even anticipate yet. Um but then there's kind of this story too in we're just getting started of, oh crap, there's more. So I wonder how you reckon with this energy of we're just getting started. There is always more to discover. 
And the very human need to sleep, exhaustion, tiredness, um, because there is always more. And so we often throw ourselves into these places where we're learning more and doing more and chasing more because the thing is constantly expanding. Our grief is always asking us more questions. And where is there room for rest in that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely chasing has a certain energetic imprint. We're not chasing. We're not rushing. Someone the other day said, thanks for, thanks for always pushing it. No, I'm not pushing it. I'm in a black rubber inner tube and I'm floating down a river. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you see how that sits different? See how that sits differently in the body? That image? Oh, yes. It's not Tom and Jerry coming around the corner with no. a, you know, hammer behind and your back. It's not so many that. people, their images and metaphors. Right. Right, right, right. Exactly what you just did with your hands. I'm narrating for your listeners. She like did this thing with yes. her hands where she just sort of relaxed. So oftentimes you'll notice the images, the metaphors, how the person is naming it. All of their questions and frustrations about how it isn't how they wish it was are all in how they name it. Oftentimes in the question, I can feel the energetic, the energy of the framing in how they talk about the thing. Some the other day said, well, you know, then I'll have to write the book and we know how that goes. Well, I just know your next question is going to be your problems writing your book because you've already framed it as a giant mountain you have to climb with a piano on your back. You know what I mean? Yes. So going yes. back to there's always more, there's always more. Yeah, you're floating in a tube down a river. Yeah, there's always going to be more scenery coming ahead. But you're floating down a river. <laughs> so I sleep lots of hours every night. I'm not busy. Calendar's not full. Because that, that's no way to live. I already tried that once in a previous life. <laughs> Yes. And that's something that comes up in your book too. And I love this imagery of, of floating in an inner tube because especially with relation to grief, and again, the way our society spins it is you must get out of this thing. You must climb out of this hole. You must get over the mountain. You must triumph over the yep. story, which involves us doing a lot of work <laughs> to accomplish a thing. But but an alternative question and one that you seem to be posing in this book is like, well, what if you just let the experience of grief carry you because it already Absolutely. Is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a story works until it doesn't. So sometimes a story is necessary. Somebody's in a particular situation. They're like, I just have to start digging. Okay, fair enough. I can see that situation. You have massive financial debt. I'm going to have to really hustle my way out of this. Okay, fine. Is that, how's that work? Is that, is that helping you? Great. But what often happens is what the person's witnessing to is that story worked for a while until it stopped working. <laughs> And now the story's like collapsing in and on itself. So yeah, sometimes those pushing, striving, I really wanted that thing. I went all out. I threw myself into it. Yeah, there's a time and a place when perhaps that is the best way to talk about it. But if we're going to do this for a long time in a sustainable way and five years from now, 10 years from now, you're going to have your ninth book you're even more happy to be writing <laughs> that will probably not be because you were pushing and striving for nine years. It will probably be, I was following it where it took me and I was enjoying every step of the way. Sure. There's moments here and there when I was like, wow, that didn't see that coming, but there's a, a steady calm. Even these two sacred Feminine, sacred, masculine. You listen and then you act out of that. And then you go back to listening. And then when you get a little direction, you act. Um, but if you act without listening, you're going to build a bunch of stuff that isn't worth building. If you listen without acting, all these sacred energies are going to get stopped up. So even the fact that each one of us come biologically from these two different contributions, which have very different energies, should tell us something. We listen. We rest. We're aware. We pay attention. Oh, I had to try that. We act. We build. We create. We type. We risk. All right. Now what's next? Well, let's go back to listening. So it's like this endless loop. Well, and it's um, <laughs> permission to 
fail? Permission Absolutely. To Permission to be a beginner? Absolutely. <laughs> um, which we feel so little of in grief. It's like you're grieving, now you have to be an expert immediately. Oh. At least that was a pressure that I felt in, in my story was this, you're grieving, there's so many resources available to you, you should know what oh you're doing. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. Um, yeah, especially with grief. Holy crap Especially pressure. with grief, which yeah. is, just notice this experience you're having. Oh wow, today I, I have not very much energy. Okay. Notice it without judgment. I swear, if every human being understood that the first thing is to notice it without judgment. It is what it is. I would change I mean, so many things. But the editor on the shoulder, which is already judging and analyzing the experience, has already removed the person from the full presence of the experience. You're grieving. You lost something. You had to let go of somebody yeah so what's that what's it feel like what's it taste like other words no words do you want to move around do you want to sit still yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it shifts this narrative from um well grief as an experience versus grief as an accomplishment oh my goodness which has a different language to oh it oh my goodness oh my goodness i, I was just just this afternoon Talked to a beloved friend of mine. We surfed together last Wednesday. And then he went to see his father who was in, had some health issues. And by Saturday night, his dad took his last breaths. And my friend is sitting beside the bed as he says goodbye to his father. And they reconciled and brought up all the past history and had like one of those deathbed extraordinary blessing each other and making peace with each other. And he just called me and he's driving home not knowing when I saw him last Wednesday that he would not be home till now. And we were just, I, I mean, will he go home and fall asleep for three days? Will he scrub the kitchen floor? <laughs> you know what I mean? Will he just walk his dog around the block by the hour? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? That one's going to take a while, what he just went through. And like any of us thinking about my friend, the last thing you do is tell him, well, I bet by Thursday you'll be back on your no. Well, that's going to be what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. That is that will unfold as it wants to. Well, I think something that I'm still wrapping my head around in your work is is the last, not even chapter, the last set of pages. Because grief growers understand this book is not written in any linear form or fashion. I have to tell you. Okay, so we're going to take a segue, and then I'm going to get to the thing at the end of the book. So truthfully. I uh, appreciate the sound of your voice uh, so much more. And so I started with the audiobook and I literally just picked up a physical copy of the book today so I could make notes in it before our call. And the way that this is written, like segmented poetry prose style, where there are lines left to themselves, there are returns or enters, whatever you want to call them, where words are separated on purpose, like the whole and bolded sections and italicized section. I was like, okay. This reads a lot more like world's biggest poem than it does anything that has chapter segments. <laughs> you tell this story of um, somebody who was speaking, this very famous religious person who is like outline four, segment A. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and this is not that kind of book. There is no start. There's no end other than the, the covers that bind the pages. Um, so there's this part at the end that that you speak about where where death exists in everything and i i think grief growers who are listening to this who at the beginning heard death is or um death is letting go there's this implication of oh it's just that easy huh when in fact oh um, good lord nothing easy about letting go right where the, the well the act or the practice of release or surrender or um allowing to die or admission of death. You have this part in the book about literally how we are created. There is massive amounts of death in the creation of a human being. You talk about like sex, egg, sperm, like we're getting real technical here. And in order for us to exist, so many other things must also die. And so to enter into the world with death already woven into our experience, it's not a thing that happens at the end. Death is not the, right. the thing that happens at the, right. it's not a bookend. Right. It's, it's coming with everything. Yeah. And 
gosh, if I could teach everybody in the world one thing, it would so be that. Because we have this expectation that we're waiting for death to arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, when in fact it is already here and that's not a threat. It's not bad. It's not, it doesn't mean something is amiss. It's integral to this being this. Mm-hmm. So whatever you love about this experience that you're having, death is woven into that. It's an engine of creation, which doesn't mean that losing somebody you love doesn't rip your heart out. We can have that sit side by side. Skateboards, COVID tests. It can all sit side by side. Yeah. I wonder, um, and you let me know whether or not you even want to answer this question, but how does remembering people that you love show up in your day-to-day life? Oh, well, the grandma who kept cash in her bra. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know if a day goes by that I don't think about her and have a sense of her with me. So the lines all got blurred for me on who's been here before, who's here now. Um, like my kids, oh my God, my, our kids, they're like my teachers. They each have like a particular subject. They Apparently they're teaching me. They're not aware of. <laughs> but what happens... Professor Violet, Professor... Prof- Tr- yes. <laughs> Professor Preston. <laughs> what happens... Because there's roles and then there's souls. So there's roles, biological role. I'm father. Well, I pay the bills, whatever. <laughs> there's kid. The lightless like role. But then there's soul, which is timeless essence. That is the Shelby beyond all Shelbys, behind all Shelbys. And so as you come to see that there are these roles that you have, but then there are just souls who happen to be floating down the river at the same time. Um, then you begin to move to an eternal now where all of this is happening. Cause the only thing that's ever gone on forever is now. And now we even have all sorts of like theoretical physicists just saying time past, present, future is actually an illusion. It's like a, the earth being f- flat. It's actually round. So I actually think in the next, what, 10 years, people are going to realize that the way that they think about time is the equivalent of thinking about the earth as flat. Because we now know that a watch, if you wear a watch and go on top of the mountain and I wear a watch at the same time and stay down in the valley, your watch is going to run faster because you're higher up, farther away from the center of gravity. So what happens is you begin to live in an eternal now in which all of this is present because for you Shelby all of your past can only ever be here present now there's no other place it can be for you so what begins to happen is those who have come before as opposed to being something way back there all of that is present with us it's here because there's only here and uh yeah so my grandma there's a in the book, I tell about Matthew when I was like 22, that 16-year-old whose parents were getting divorced, and he came and lived with me, and I like made him breakfast and made sure his homework was done. Um, I, I have a deep sense of communion with him. Just the other day, I came across his picture as I was sorting through some stuff, and I was like, oh, man, man, oh, man. If he was here and we were talking about where it all went. Oh, yeah. Like I could. Yeah. All of it. All this close, close, close. Rainer Rilke, the poet, the the poet. I just put a line of his on the lips of a character in a play I'm writing. And I was like, oh, yeah, Rilke with me, with me now here writing this play. (laughs) Well, and I like that. Um. I wrote down, well, then what do we say to the people who are feeling the pain of separation? And right underneath it, I wrote, we invite them to bring everything to the present. Yeah, what a gift it was to love somebody like that. And look at the ways that they shaped you and look at the ways that they formed you and look at what they meant to you and look how that's with you. Like You aren't the same person. You are who you are. So, of course, they're with you. How would they not be? There's a presence and absence. In noticing the pain of separation, there's also a noticing of being permanently tied. Yes. So that's the trick. The trick is 
every degree to which you focus on the separation, the underside of that is the connection. Yeah. And well, I think that leads um, perfectly into one of my other favorite parts of your book where you talk about um, what it means to end. And you made a really interesting, I've never heard anybody do this before. You made a really interesting distinction between a graduation and a divorce. Mm. And there's a different energy to both of those. One feels like um, willing and voluntary ascension. The other Ah, one feels a lot like um, involuntary Disruption, disruption, separation, earthquakiness, mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. something under that is unwanted. And so you distinguish between these types of losses. It's like, how do we know? How do we know when it's time to leave? How do we know when we've overstayed our welcome? And this is more for the losses that we create. Um, yes. Breakups, yes. major moves, career changes, things of that nature. Um, but it can also, I think, exist within the realm of losing someone to death. So you can you can treat the death of a loved one as something that gradu- graduates you into a next life, or you can treat it like a divorce, or you can treat it like both, because it kind of is both. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. a separation you never wanted to happen that's simultaneously propelling you into what's next. Which and probably your initial experience is divorce, and later it grows in to a graduation. Yes, and neither is bad or good there what yeah right 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 Once dichotomy again, doesn't exist withholding here. judgment on this because it's what is so let's just let it be what it is mm-hmm. yeah i mean the number of people cannot begin to count over the years who when asked about significant moments in their life that shaped them talk about the loss of someone they loved and they talk about how i mean the people i know who are like and she was in a car accident and died. And then I realized, what am I doing with my life? And I went to med school. Like, I, I mean, I can think of the number of people who are like, and then they were gone. And so there was no tomorrow that I had been planning. Uh, everything was blown to pieces. So I had to come up with a new plan. So that's why I'm here today doing this because of that. And this has been amazing. So in some counterintuitive way, without that loss, I wouldn't be here. So I don't even know what to call all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very strange how all this works. Well, and something I love that I've been reading recently um, in Hope Edelman's book called The After Grief, she talks about the difference between acceptance and what is acceptable. So there's acceptance for what is, the truth of what happened, the facts, the how, but then there's the reality that the circumstances of it or the fact, the pain of it is forever unacceptable. Like there's something, I should have never lost my mom at 21. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's unfair that people die, period. <laughs> there's right. something kind of right. um, unjust about the whole thing anyway. And so there's acceptance, the truth of what happened, but will always remain unacceptable. Um, and and balancing those two. Like you, there's this illusion that you get to a place of acceptance where everything is fine and you're grateful for how it happened and all that happened and where you are in your life now. And, and it's like, just like 1% of joy always exists, 1% of grief always exists. And the percentages are always flowing and dynamically changing. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, reconciliation doesn't mean that it was suddenly a good thing. It just yeah. means that you see it has become properly integrated in the larger playing field of your life. It's almost like it's been swallowed up by some new creation that doesn't say that it wasn't a heartbreaking loss. It just says it was also some other things. Yes. And more than this. Yes. Right, right. So there's this interesting distinction between resignation and reconciliation. Resignation has a slight energetic tone of passivity to it. I'm resigned to this, which is, I don't like it, but I, uh, I'm, yeah, sure, fine. I'll go. But energetically, it's still gripping a little. It's still digging its heels in just a touch. Um, oh, all right. I'm yes, I'm resigned as opposed to reconciliation. I'm I'm reconciled to it, which could be the exact same event. I wish it never would have happened. And yet my heart is open to whatever comes now. Yeah. Well, and I think of I'm gonna butcher this a little bit, but like Latin root words, 
to resign in some way to resignare is to like to remove a signature. I don't sign off on this. <laughs> oh, nice. Right. But right. then to to reconcile is to bring together over and over again. Right. And so right. it's like, right. whoa, those are totally different energies. One is resistance and one is voluntary involvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are these very subtle energy differences between them that can actually just be a giant difference in the lived experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also, again, something you, you drive home over and over again and everything is spiritual is, and it all belongs. Feeling resigned to your life is part of being alive. Yes. Um, I had to I had to reach despair before I recognized and knew what surrender tasted like. It was like ah. have to have one experience in order to recognize another, especially right now. Um, we're living in the aftermath of a presidential election in the United States Ooh. and all that applies. And we can totally go down that road. But the morning of I was coming off, I do my own um workshops and we talked about surrender the night before and there's this illusion that surrender means you'd no longer give a shit when in reality surrender is teaching you or or saying i have reached the limits of my humanity and now something else must take over yeah yeah you're more engaged than ever you're like more like oh now i really can't wait to see what happens right (laughs) um yes and it's almost as if we have to know what the end of our rope looks like to be willing to offer surrender. Like that's the place where surrender happens. You don't just surrender off the bat. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> right. How would you know how? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. What would, yeah. You're not even at the end of the road. You're just in the middle of the road. You might get hit, but you get to the end of the road. Now we actually need some help. Yes, oh yeah, yeah. 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 And surrender becomes a very active. Okay. I've exhausted all of my capacities. I now officially open myself up to the generative, wondrous creativity of the universe. I have applied for every job I can find. Nothing's happening. I surrender here. Someone else take this. Now you are open to a wild generativity that when it was still firmly within your realm of comprehension, um, this is why surrender is where always where old, new worlds open up just expanded the horizon in a profound way. Well, and for me, this, um, for me, surrender is, yeah, that's above my pay grade. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That belongs to someone else Yeah, Yeah, yeah. um, or some other force because that's above what I am able, willing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. supplied to do. Um, But I think this also speaks to uh, a great fear that, we as humans have is if I surrender, I'm literally opening up to, I say um, these phrases of we live in a world where anything can happen. You write, it left me with this chilling, sobering feeling that anything could happen to anybody. And so it's like, how do I surrender in a world where anything can happen? And all that that implies. Yeah, that's a question, but that's also um, an affirm. Uh, I'm just going to answer it with an affirmation. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Opening your heart to your life is running a great risk. The only bigger risk is to not open your heart to your unfolding life. There's risk either way. Stay on the couch, don't do anything, batten down the hatches, protect yourself from the aches and pains of life. That's correct. That will appear to be the less risky option. But you also, a part of you may die there on the couch in your home. You go out there and try something, Use your voice, make something, throw yourself into the game. Yeah, you make it a little bloody, make it hit. Yeah, it may uh, break your heart. Yep, that's risky. And for a lot of people, they see it in terms of, well, that's risky. Yes, that is. So is not doing anything. And the greater risk, maybe. So oftentimes you can see people struggling because they're suddenly realizing, oh, there's risk in any direction. The whole thing, risk is baked into all of it. So if you can make peace with that, now you can really live. Yes. And making peace does not always look peaceful. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's like because, a perpetual wrestling. Oh, my, you, yeah. 
you threw your heart, you threw yourself into that and it didn't go the way you wanted. Of course you're angry. Of course you're heartbroken. Of course. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Like I, I say, you know, you let go and that and all that, but like something were to happen to one of my kids, like that's an end of the world for me. And I would get up the next day and have to find my way. So that's the, that's the, this, the drama of this whole thing is, yes, that's what we're doing here. We're on this ball of rock hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. You've got a podcast and a workshop and another book coming. You know what I mean? Like that's the, the drama, the ups and downs, the throw yourself into it, see what happens, surrender the outcome, open up your heart, forgive. That's, and that's what the book I, I, what's imprinted in the book is what are the other options? You know, this is the thing. Let's just jump in, see where it takes you. If you can come to see all that as the thrill of it, and you're not repressing or denying, avoiding all the very real things that come your way, God's spirit will take care of you. You'll be okay. And this goes back to something um, you've spoken out about on your podcast and in Everything is Spiritual that I see so often with clients is grief um, demanding a shift in priorities. And so you speak of, you know, we spend our whole lives climbing ladders, but how do you know that your ladders <laughs> propped up against a wall that you want to be climbing? And, right. and so many of my clients, they come in and like, or, or, or workshop folks, they're like, I'm losing so much momentum. I feel like I'm I'm stuck. I feel like I'm going nowhere fast. I feel like I don't have the energy I used to. I'm like, A, of course you don't. But B, hmm. like, where are you trying to go? Right. Like, where is the place that you, that you yeah. need to be in such a hurry? And that kind of question is like, okay, wow. Mm-hmm. Because grief demands um, a retaking of inventory in some way. Yeah. Yeah. What exactly are you trying to do here? Get in your tube, get in the river, float down the river. Tell me what you see. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tell me what smells good. Tell me what tastes good. Yeah, there you go. Is resonating with you. Tell me what words you want to hear. Um, I think as we're wrapping up, I want to end with something that came very close to the beginning of your book, which is this phrase that arrived to you in a hospital bed, which is now what? And I wonder if you can just on now what? Because we are in a time, a year, we're closing out a, a pandemic, an uprising, an election, among so many other things and so many other losses, I know grief growers on the show have had, including myself. Yes. Um, now what? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I was I had this brain infection. I'm in the hospital. All my plans for post college had fallen apart. What was I going to do with my life? Now what? So there's like an anger. There's a desperate plea. It's actually a form of prayer to name your insides, to give expression to everything going on within you. Now what? It was like an anger. It was like a futile sort of impotent cry of all my plans fell apart this wasn't the band i was in broke up and it was like that was the one thing i ever felt like i was able to do and then the well i don't have a job i don't know what i'm gonna do and then ever so gradually the now what became the question that it always was well now what so it's like you have to give proper expression to whatever you're feeling because if you hold it or repress it or deny it, then it just goes underground. Now it'll just go out. It'll just, it'll just appear in some other way. So you have to give expression to it. Let it all out. And for many, the pain, the first choice is to is move, is to numb. And we have a wonderful culture of numbing devices. But then it's, now it's just haunting the house in some other way. So that which you don't give expression to lurks within the system, whether it's a family system, whether it's in your body, or the number of people I'm sure you work with who their bodies start talking and telling them the truth, uh, your body will start blackouts, back pain, unable to sleep, cravings. Um, let's go down the list of ways in which the body just starts speaking because it's like, uh, I uh, can't store this any longer. So what happened to me is I'm 21. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. I'm in the hospital and this now what starts to become now what starts to become curiosity. 
starts to become an opening. Like in some traditions, there's a third eye in your forehead above your two eyes. Like actual seeing, not just retina, cones, rods, light, but like actual seeing. Yeah, and it became like, now, now what? And then, so that's the thing about, there's a very ancient pattern at play right here in 2020. Anytime there's upheaval, disruption, disequilibrium, this is how creation works. Spirit is in the mess. And this is how new things get made. So think about, for example, politically. Until the political system is in enough pain, it won't change. Economically, until there's enough pain, the system will stay exactly as it is. So for a number of people, they're like, how are we going to ever survive this? No, this is how new worlds get created, is there's enough disruption. The knobs get turned up enough. In our family, we talk about apocalyptic hope, because a lot of people think it feels like an apocalypse. By that, they mean an end. But apocalypse, it's a Greek word, means to reveal or disclose. We're living in an apocalyptic time, meaning, my, my son Trace calls it the great unmasking, the covers have been ripped off things and you're seeing what they really are. So education, the healthcare system, these giant arrangements that were designed to serve us aren't serving us as well as they need to. So it feels like a meltdown, but how would you ever get the will, the collective will to build a new one that actually could work unless there's an apocalypse, there's a revealing of just how lacking it is. So yeah, this this thing right now that everybody's going through, this is an ancient pattern. So you keep your eyes open. Uh, and of course, it's bloody and brutal and difficult and awful. And But if you think about racism in this country and our history with slavery, until you have an unmasking of just how deep this wound goes, you can't ever build a new world so like all these stories that we're hearing and perspectives that are finally being shared on a large scale yeah 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 it's some of it's awful to hear no it can't be that bad ah keep coming keep bring keep telling us because until we all hear it and see it we can't build a new world yeah so it's both terrifying and frustrating and maddening and harrowing and incredibly thrilling. Yes. Well, and and there's this illusion, I think, sometimes that certain things belong and certain other things don't belong. I was working with a client a few, uh, probably a month ago now, and her grief was ousting her from a group of friends and she was getting ready to join or possibly tilting into join another one. And the illusion is that in between these two bubbles of the old life and the new life, you're floating in nothingness. When in actuality, there's like this Venn diagram, you are hovering in a center of some kind on your way to what is next. Yeah. And this illusion, this, the lie that we tell is that not, this does not belong. This is out of order. This is wrong. This is, broken. Um, and in reality, we are in the center of that Venn diagram where a lot of things are true all at the same time. And we're already on our way to something yes. next. There you go. And I, I mean, going immediately back to what you said, it's a form of prayer to name your insides. So stay tuned. We are continuing to name the insides. <laughs> Let's see this. Let's watch this. Let's see what happens. Right. Let's stay out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's watch. This is very interesting to be us. <laughs> yes. And that's something um, I'll share with grief growers too, is what a reframe. Oh, isn't that interesting? Instead of this is bad, this is good. Perhaps a mini homework assignment from our conversation today is to observe non-judgmentally. If you can, if you can learn, if you can get that muscle, you can build that muscle that asks, oh, I wonder, oh, I wonder how this one's going to go you've instantly added an element of play and heavy things always need lightness. Oh, 
oh, here comes that relative that has a supernatural ability to get under my skin. Oh, let's see how this one goes. Oh, uh, Kristen has this great line. Oh, look, points for consistency. They did it again. (laughs) And I do that with grief too. I'm like, oh, Christmas is coming up. My mom died the day after Christmas. I'm like, grief is nothing but consistent. Here comes the misery, (laughs) like a big parade every year. You spot it. You spot Mm -hmm. it. Oh, look. Yep. Apparently, why is it this person able to supernaturally get under my skin? Why is this holiday have this kind of power? Now we've just shifted it to curiosity. What is it? Teach me. You've turned your antagonist into your teacher. That's okay. Yeah. I can reshape everything. That's beautiful. So an example, oh, Christmas is coming. Difficult time. Oh, I still have a heart. I can still feel. And the other option would be to unplug those particular wires and not feel. For you, the holidays will have a, your heart will feel it. Yeah, it's because you've decided to keep feeling and not shut down. And that's a beautiful place to end, I think, as we're tilting into whatever the holidays will be in in 2020, whatever grief will be as we round into what's next. Now what? What? Um, does that even mean anymore? Uh, what now? <laughs> Sometimes I wake up in the morning. I feel as if I'm pulling so a slot true. machine. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, this entire year has been like an altered state. Yes. But I'm sure like you, the number of people I get to work with who all of this is moving them to places they always wanted to be. Like the number of people who are like, why am I doing, I was doing that job I don't like because of the stability of the paycheck, but it's not stable any, like all of the trades that people have been making that have now been exposed. Um, I just, I, I am just constantly like, oh, this is how this works. Yeah, this is an ancient pattern. It's just been, all the knobs have been turned up to 11. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Even here, there is room to breathe. Even here, there's room for play. Even here, there's room for laughter. I think I have laughed more this year than yeah. I have in the past seven years since my mom's death. If you're, if you're not laughing when the president of the United States says, I'm winning in those states, keep counting the ballots. I'm losing in those states, stop counting. You're angry, you're furious, you're shaking your fist at the TV, but if you're not like, okay, somebody somewhere is punking us all, because this is now so surreal. We, we went all the way here. The whole thing is a TV show. What in the world? Yeah. Yep, you have to see it in a different way. Yes. And uh, and to do so will only give you more freedom. Absolutely. Um, gosh, which is something I think we're all so thirsty for right now is to feel less trapped. Yeah. Um, by grief, by pain, by old stories, by the, yep. fe- the, the feeling or belief that everything is not spiritual. Um, when in fact, it all is. Well said. <laughs> Well, that's my my way of rounding out and tell everybody where they can find everything is spiritual as well as anything else you want to tell us about that you've got coming up here in the future. Yeah, there's the new book. Um, I'm I'm starting. I'm offering a writing class, so it's a one time couple hour experience, and I'm really excited about that. It'll be at different days and different times. And then we released a new film called An Introduction to Joy, which is on YouTube, which makes me smile. Yeah. So all that stuff's at my site, robbell.com. I keep making things and so thrilled I get to do this work and talk to people like you. Yes. And that is so mutual. And I'm so glad your book exists in the world. And thank you so thank much you. for coming on, coming back to, to talk about grief, to talk about lightness, to talk about surrender, roles versus souls. <laughs> I should do something with that. That's a new one. I got yeah, another one. I will, I will stay tuned for that, Grief Growers. Um, and even here, there's room to breathe. Thank you so much, Rob. Yes. My pleasure. 
So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so very much to Rob Bell for coming on Coming Back to talk about how we humans are more than capable of holding two opposite things to be true at the same time, and how we can metaphorically surrender and float down the river of our life with the graduations and divorces of grief. Rob came back by allowing all of his emotions and by shifting the question, now what, from despair to curiosity. You can find Rob's book, Everything is Spiritual, as well as his writing workshops and so much more at robbell.com, and you can find that link in the show notes. You can find my new book, Your Grief, Your Way, 366 Days of Comfort and Practical Exercises After the Death of a Loved One, now wherever you buy books. And be sure to stay tuned after the credits for an excerpt from the book. If you'd like to get online grief support for just $3 a month, pledge to support this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. You'll instantly unlock access to weekly grief guidance prompts and monthly live calls with me. Our next live grief support call is happening this Monday, November 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and tell a friend about Coming Back because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you so much to Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Shelby Forsythia, or shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I am so proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. Because even through grief, we are growing. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Coming Back. Now, check out the November 11th entry from my new daily grief book, Your Grief, Your Way. November 11th. While it's normal to be triggered after someone you love dies, It can be debilitating to feel like you're constantly under attack. If you feel safe doing so, brainstorm small ways to expose yourself to triggers so you can gradually come into close contact with them in the future. For instance, after my mom died, I could barely stand to see mothers and daughters out in public. I knew I didn't want this to be my new reality, so I gradually started reacquainting myself with mothers and daughters. First, I would observe mother-daughter pairs as I walked. Then, I purposely got in line behind mother-daughter pairs at the grocery store. And then, I made a point of going out on holidays like Mother's Day. Now, I still feel a twinge of heartache when I see a mom with her daughter, but the urge to scream and collapse is gone. If this entry resonated with you and your grief, you can purchase your grief your way now wherever you buy books, including Amazon, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. And please do keep your local bookstores in mind as you're shopping for the holiday season. I'll see you next week on Coming Back.